take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to the Life in Red. Hi, everybody. Episode 10 now of the Life in Red podcast. I have uh, my good friends Amy and Dee here. How are you? Good. Hey. Excellent. So this is the first in two ways for the Life in Red podcast. One is you're my first duel, my first two-person podcast, and we only have one microphone, so this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Secondly, you are the first on the podcast who I have never met in person. Oh. Everyone else has been um, who I know, but now I have I, never met you. So this is going to be interesting. So this is like a, a dry conversation. It's true. Of meeting each other. Uh, so Amy D, you are in, I would say, the music business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the music business that I'm in, but mm-hmm. even cooler, I think you're both. Singers slash composers slash all sorts of things, eh? Yep. Conductors, singers, managers, managers, yep. Keeping people in line. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> uh let's start with Amy. Yeah. How like how does one get involved with music? Because you'd think that everyone wants to be like, oh, I'm gonna be the next Taylor Swift or Camila Cabello. <laughs> you, you you two both kind of went like a little more old school, and not even like the <laughs> like Beatles old school. Pavarotti. Yeah, like, okay, Real old school. I don't even know who Pavarotti is. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of one of those things you start to figure out uh, in high school. Like for me, I well, I was always into music since kindergarten, um, but it wasn't until high school I started to realize like I I want to make this like a life. And uh, so you start taking music classes, and then that's from there you talk with your music teacher. And if they think that you can do it, you just go for it. And next thing you know, you're in university. And I don't know, things just take a pretty serious flight very quickly. When it comes to classical, the classical realm, a lot of people kind of know that they want to do it early on, I would yeah. say. Like a lot, of, a lot of musicians I know, like a lot of pianists, started playing piano at five. And that was like their life goal since they were like a toddler. So, so it's one of those things... You either learn early on or you learn it pretty late in the game. Mm-hmm. Like some people just kind of sang their whole life, never took lessons or anything, and then decide, you know, I'm going to join a choir. And then a conductor can say, holy crap, you have a voice on you and you've had absolutely no training. That's amazing. I, and I think that's what happened with Pavarotti. He, I don't know. His, his career only blossomed blossomed in like his late 20s, early 30s because he just sang somewhere and someone was like, holy crap, you have a crazy, beautiful voice. But, like, I think when you think of piano or, like, mm-hmm. violin, like, that, okay, yeah, that's classical, but how does one discover you have, like, a, I guess, classical voice? Like, are you just singing <laughs> one day and you're like, ah! like oh, my God, that was, like, perfect. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> singing, singing classical, I think, is, it just takes a lot more work, um, that I think when you're singing pop styles, rock styles and stuff, yeah, that, that takes commitment. It takes dedication. Um, it takes like fine honing your own style and your own craft. Um, but to sing classical, it means that you're singing like without amplification. It means that you're singing for much longer periods of time sometimes than, um, singer songwriters pop stylists stuff like that um so you're learning how to use your body in a very different way um than some other singers um so it's 
it's not so much that you like suddenly open your mouth and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, she's a classical singer. It's that you are willing to kind of focus in on this particular type of music and Mm -hmm. kind of dedicate yourself to it. Um, And it's certainly not for everyone, but for the people that it's for, um, we're kind of obsessive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember I dated uh, an opera singer who was trying to get in the business. Oh. Uh, So I'm not going to pretend I know anything. Yeah. I I really don't. But I always find it fascinating because when you said that obsession, that cued in because her life was like 95% dedicated. Like There was like Mm -hmm. hours in the afternoon. She's like, I can't hang out. I'm I'm practicing or something. Oh, yeah. The I can't, I'm in rehearsal or practice is a real thing. It's a real thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. Yeah. And I mean, I talk to my parents about this all the time, just about to be a, not just classical musician, I think anyone that is is living a life that's like a vocation, not so much a career, um, where it becomes so um, all-consuming, there's a lot you have to sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and time with other people tends to be like mm. the biggie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you probably come close like with other singers. Like that's, that's like the <laughs> yes. community now. That is yeah. the community. That's your, life, that's your friends. Yeah, that's your exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I mean, you're both singers, you're music teachers, administrators, uh, all involved in, in music. So how, like, when you said you have to find new ways to use your body to hit these notes, like, what do you mean by that? Like, instead of just like when I'm singing in my car versus, or in the shower, cause I do that a lot, but, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or like to do this, like professionally, like mm-hmm. what types of things are, are very different as opposed to like a normal singer? I think number one, well, I think all singers, rule number one is do it in a healthy way because a lot of singers who have no training, no proper training, can completely lose their voice by the time they're 30. uh, I've raised my hand. (laughs) Is that you? I'm not even a singer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, healthy singing is number one, and having to engage certain parts of the body to get the sound out properly. um, I've noticed, like, when I first started out singing, I would tense up, and with the proper training, I learned how to relax. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, when they sing, um, a lot of um, tension is in the throat, and you have to learn early on that if you want to make something out of, if you want to make a career out of singing, you really know, you really need to know how to approach it from a very healthy standpoint. Because if you're in it for a while, you have, that's, that's like your, your shrine basically is your voice. Mm-hmm. And um, so you just have to make sure that everything is relaxed. And that was hard for me because when you're singing such a powerful moment, you can't help but your body react in a tense way. Um, so I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. So to overcome that and approach it from a very healthy standpoint, you'll definitely see results in the long run. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that because we, almost everyone um, uses their voice in some way to speak or to sing or whatever. Um, and many of us wouldn't consider ourselves to be singers, but we sing in the shower, we sing in the car, we'd love to sing, um, or even just talking. We don't, you know, it's like breathing. We don't think about it. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that that's the big piece is just awareness and realizing what your body is doing. Because it's 
freaking amazing what your body does yeah. to actually create sound um and full body engagement that's the other big thing um is that it's not just your your vocal cords that are doing the work it's your whole body and that's um something that you see especially with with opera singers classical singers um it's the memes that you see it's the like images of these like huge people and you know tiny tiny people can make huge sounds too it's just about taking up space and using your whole mm -hmm. body yeah the look at each other yeah oh, the yeah. like oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, music. yeah. <laughs> um so how do you how do you do this professionally <laughs> like how does one person like make a career out mm -hmm. of music that I would say, you know, isn't as popular as other genres. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because we have gone on to have very different paths within mm -hmm. this small kind of yeah. niche community as well. Um, is, I, it, is it your first career? Like, is this what you do for your job and your rent? Uh, or do you actually have, like, other jobs that you do? And this is just kind of still your passion that you're trying to pursue, but you still need to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah that that's uh, that's the case for me. So I do have a full-time job uh, that basically brings in the money. And then um, as of now, the choir management and arts administration that I do is voluntary, but in a way they also – uh, helped me with my professional development in terms of going to conferences and and taking part in management programs. Uh, so that's kind of the trade-off uh, in the meantime. But I know that it's a long-term goal of theirs to eventually pay me because it does become uh, a very a very uh, taxing job at times, especially with choir management. I mean, it's kind of everything. It's HR. It's artistic vision. It's management skills, project management, um, it, it's a bit of everything. So it starts to take over your life a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I think it's as long as you find a good balance and kind of, well, for me, I've based my life around having everything as convenient as possible in order to maintain this full-time job and do all this choir management and, and singing. Um, so mm -hmm. that's what works for me for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas I'm on the other side of things where I am lucky enough to be doing this as mm. my full-time paying the bills thing. Um, but similar to Amy, I mean, I call it putting your puzzle pieces together. Um, like I, I don't just do one thing. I have four paying jobs plus yeah. some other um like little gigs here and there mm -hmm. freelance um, stuff, freelance stuff. Yeah. and then um there's also just singing for fun and for joy which sometimes um is really hard to fit in there when you're yeah. doing it um full time um and so it's i mean it's the same as Amy um just putting together all the puzzle pieces of the things um that you need to do to pay the bills, but also the things that you love to do and figuring out how to make it all work. Um, I think that whether you're getting paid for these things or not, it's still mm -hmm. a balancing act. Um, 100%. Yeah, and and just figuring out that balance too between like different priorities, um, because even though I'm doing this for a living and, and teaching music and conducting music and creating music for a living, I also have 
all kinds of extra admin stuff on the, on the side that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And that tends to get you down and, and figuring out um, how to prioritize within that too. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but also planning for future projects. Like we've, <laughs> yeah. like we've been in the talks about uh, community engagement and getting more support from the city uh, to enhance the choral experience. Um, in Ottawa, there's actually 80 plus choirs. And it's an, right. it's a yeah. huge, wow. huge number. Um, and our choirs are mostly centrally located, but you'll go to Canada and find out there's all these other community choirs. You go to Orleans, uh, South Keys, uh, but our choirs are mostly cent- uh, centrally located. So we know the choirs in that area, but then almost on a weekly basis, I hear of all these other new choirs or existing choirs that I didn't know were around and uh, it's just insane the list just grows and it kind of makes me sad sometimes that there's that we don't know all of these choirs and I'm like this is such a huge community why are we why are we coming together more and doing like more festivals or collabs Mm -hmm. I I think it would be amazing so that's kind of something that Deirdre and I have been talking about Mm -hmm. for a future project and uh, yeah just kind of taking the first steps and brainstorming how we can get more support from the city. Yeah. Uh, as a person who's outside of that scene, mm-hmm. I, I never hear about any of this. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if like social media kind of, even to promote things now, has actually gone, made much worse thanks to Facebook and yeah. <laughs> algorithms and stuff like that. Yes. Like, even <laughs> myself trying to promote this podcast, it's like ridiculous. It's yeah. really hard. Um, yeah. They make it really hard for that type of stuff. So yeah. like, what types of things do you think would help, you know, as a regular mm-hmm. person who's listening to this, like, if you're, you're interested in checking out more mm-hmm. local yeah. classical music? Because I know, I know a lot of people appreciate it, but it's never yeah. top of mind. Yeah, I think the big thing um, for people to figure out is that it's demographically choral music and classical music um, is not just for an older demographic. Uh, and the people that Amy and I sing with on a regular basis are our ages. Um, it's how we became friends, singing in choir together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there are lots of people um, from kind of, you know, when they retire onwards because they have time to put yeah. into being in choral organizations, but there are also lots of people um when, once they leave high school and university who keep singing in choirs, um, they're there, they're out there. Um, and with, you know, the <laughs> rise of um, social media, um, you just have to look a little harder. It's mm. all yeah. there. I mean, Amy herself is doing so much work in putting choir on the map in Thanks, Ottawa <laughs> <laughs> through Instagram and social media. Um, but because of these algorithms, you just you need to start somewhere. It will come flooding in. You just need yeah. to start searching. It's yeah. true. And it really is about who your target audience is, right? Um, yeah, it just just by consequence, uh, sorry, not by consequence, by coincidence mm-hmm. that the two choirs that we sing in happen to have an average age of like late 20s, yeah. early 30s. And in and, and my, my main choir, Capital Chamber Choir, we are mixed, so men and women. And we have ages from... 19 to I think 67 and a lot of people in between we're all in different stages of our lives so you the the tricky part about that is that you have to accommodate um, 
these people in these different phases. You've got the retirees who are constantly always prepared for rehearsal. And then you have people that are in the middle of their career starting young families traveling for work where they try to do their best to look at the music. And you just have to accommodate them. But you also have to uh, cater to them in the way that they are also very social media. They're, they're really into that community still. So mm -hmm. you have to reach through them. Um, I also notice word of mouth communication. It's who you know. Mm -hmm. um, like I, I do remember you mentioning that you dated an opera singer. I'm like, oh, what was what was her name? And I said, I, I definitely know that name. And then <laughs> small world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I definitely know who this person is. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a small <clears> world. <throat> so it really is like who you know mm -hmm. and and how in depth of the conversation you get into. But it's also uh, just evolving. Uh, a lot of choirs are run by uh, older people. Nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. Uh, the thing is, in any kind of music community, you have to evolve or you'll get left behind. So you have to be on top of mm -hmm. these algorithms. You have to be on top of a strong social media marketing plan and communications. You have to reach out for donors and get grants to get your music out there. Uh, one of the main reasons why my choir, Capital Chamber Choir, started getting on the map was because we got a grant for a recording that promoted all Canadian artists, all Canadian composers, most of them local here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And to get that word out, started to build on the national platform with other choirs in Canada. And from there, they will share on their social medias. So, so yeah, it, it, it is, I would say, for non-classical or non-choral people, it is still a challenge. I, I just try to sell it as much as I can and, and share it on my page, and then they check it out. And mm -hmm. everyone is always so curious, but uh, I think it's just kind of pushing them without being too aggressive to like actually listen to a sample of music. Yeah, and from yeah. the artistic side as well, there's so much that as, as a conductor, I have to take into consideration with programming. Um, there are these beautiful inspiring works of art that you know were written hundreds of years ago and that we continue to sing because there is beauty in them and there's the same message you know it's still relevant today as it was hundreds of years ago when it was written um but that's a reason why a group like capital chamber choir for example um has found success with a younger audience um is focusing on works that are being written now that have been written in the past 10, 20, 30, up to 100 years. Because in the classical music world, 100 years is not that old. No, it really um, isn't. It really isn't. Um, that would almost be considered new in classical. Yeah, it? yeah it really is. Yeah. It 1918, yeah. so totally. that's really yeah, not that old. Totally. <laughs> so um, it's, it's taking that in, into consideration and finding the balance between these, these well-loved masterworks and... Um, and, and composers that, you know, everyone knows, mm -hmm. um, but also um, celebrating the music that's being made now. And exposing um, it. And exposing it and making sure that that classical music doesn't just equal old, mm -hmm. um, that classical yeah. music is still being created as we speak um, and it needs to be celebrated and, and nurtured. And um, so it's, it's a lot to kind of, juggle when you're talking about an art form that is hundreds mm -hmm. and hundreds of years yeah. old <laughs> yeah that was going to be my next question because that music 
I mean, to you, it might it might still seem relevant, and you, like you mm-hmm. said, it has the same message mm-hmm. um, as maybe some music. But one, a lot of it's in another language yeah. because mm-hmm. English, I guess, wasn't that predominant back in the. 16, 15, 17th centuries, 18th centuries. Well, this is all European music, yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. as one, I can hear the beauty of it, but I don't necessarily understand what mm-hmm. they're saying. Mm-hmm. So that that's one. Mm-hmm. And two, um, you don't have the drums. You don't have the electric guitar coming yeah. in. Yeah. You don't have the synth beat. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you, you touched on it briefly, but get your mm-hmm. both your opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's important for, you know, people who are, you know, teenagers, 20s or 30s today to have an mm-hmm. appreciation for this music from 300, 400, 500 years ago. Yeah. It's the root of it. This is where all the music today came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's always good to kind of show them the top tens. Yeah. You know, Mozart, Beethoven, mm-hmm. and just really d- dive into it. Um, it's, it's so tricky. And this is actually an ongoing issue with a lot of opera companies. Uh, specifically opera companies these days is just having really strong youth programs and youth marketing programs because it is really hard to get uh, people in the theater when everything is so accessible mm-hmm. on YouTube. Uh, they have met um, met at the opera mm-hmm. um, at like Cineplex that you can just go check out. It's yep. so hard to get people off the couch um, and into the theater. And plus, it's not exactly the most, uh, well, it's not exactly cheap, but mm-hmm. they've tried to implement a lot of youth programs where you get discounted kid, uh, tickets and whatnot. But it's it's such a tricky thing to tackle, and that's why I say evolve or get left behind, because you have to keep reint- uh, reintroducing new works, new styles, and even collabs with different art forms. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a group, uh, in Edmonton, Procoro, Canada, and they also have a subgroup on the side called Fem F E M M E. It's four four singers, and they collab with a lot of other art forms like dance and visual arts, and so it kind of joins those two communities together, which doubles attendance, doubles awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to keep thinking of all these new ideas to capture your audience. Even in a regular choir concert, you have to think of choreography and concert design to really engage everybody. You know, sometimes doing a concert where everyone is just singing in, um, in two right. rows yeah, right in front of you, yeah. sometimes it can get pretty... Uh, stagnant and you yeah, have to change that up a little bit yeah yes. exactly and and that is the thing is that our attention spans are so yeah sh- uh, that's bad short it's really bad <laughs> yeah, it's so exactly. short so we um and so our choir what we've started doing at concerts um well before i get into this you'll notice that a lot of concerts they ask turn your cell phones off mm-hmm. or no filming now the no filming i get because of copyrights and whatnot, but we encourage our audience members to take photos and tweet about it during the, the concert promotion. without, mm-hmm. of course, without interrupting. Big flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The flash is the worst for us <laughs> on stage. Um, but even just people around you, as long as you're discreet, like we encourage younger audiences. I mean, 
anyone in the yeah. audience to live tweet, take yeah. photos, and and get the word out there. Because it, yeah, it's yeah. not just about promotion and getting the word out. It's it's audience engagement as yes. well. That it's not an us versus them kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's uh, we're all having this experience together at the same time. Yeah. How can you be a part of that? Yeah. Um, it's yeah, so important. It is. Even live streaming is a big thing now. A really? lot of choirs are live streaming their concerts, um, which gets audiences not uh, uh, not from the local community. Mm-hmm. Um, like we could reach choirs from all over the world that like our page and see, and they could just plug in and mm-hmm. and listen. You almost need like someone to go kind of mainstream or viral, I guess. Like yeah. uh, people, I think of like Lindsey Sterling, who kind of took she's a violin player right but she made it like rock music yeah Yeah. exactly she was at blues fest like just just jamming out Uh, i don't know what the thought is on the community on like someone like il devo um but they're what i kind of heard at opera again and i was like oh Mm -hmm. okay like and like i was always appreciative of music but like i would never have them on my ipod but yeah 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 well Um, there you go i remember (laughs) i guess it was three years ago uh there was this group called, I think they're a choir group, I could be wrong, but they're called Twisted Measure, and they had the song, oh, cool. uh, cover of Chandelier, go cool. viral from BuzzFeed. Yeah. Nice. Um, and that nice. got, like, millions of views, and then people were like, oh, this is so awesome. And then I'm thinking there, and this was a while ago, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is pretty standard for any choir group, that they're they're doing yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's just this happens, this one went viral. But, like, I mean, you need yeah. that attention. There's, there's yeah. a lot of... Um, there's a big debate over that kind of stuff, over the Il Divos, the, the contemporary opera kind of scene, um, and and the choirs that go viral for singing frozen medleys or for singing, you know, the the Sia songs for uh, doing all that. I'm a huge fan of Voctive, too, because they do Disney Yeah, yeah. totally. I'm totally. so down for that every yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> so there's definitely some kind of... Um, there's one perspective of that, you know, by um, having the the bigger community see choral music as the the Disney covers and things like mm-hmm. that, um, that it takes away from the quote unquote real classical music. Um, I'm not of that opinion. I don't think Amy's of that opinion either. It it's for me. Um, Amy already talked about audiences, audience retention, things like that. Um, for me, as a music educator, it's about um, actual interaction and engagement and getting people just singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what I care about um, is people singing and singing together because there's so many reasons why singing together um, is a really beneficial thing for you physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, and if that means that it's a bunch of people playing around um, with Snapchat filters while they're singing Disney songs together, great. If mm-hmm. that means that you're going to join a choir and sing the Verdi Requiem, fantastic. Um, if that means that you're going to go in a direction that Amy and I did um you know, getting music degrees and really studying it as an art form and and dedicating a large portion of our lives to it. Fantastic. If it means that you sing your kids lullabies at night, great. Like it's it really to me, it doesn't matter 
the labels of it don't matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice if we think that music should be kept in all of these little boxes um, Mm -hmm. and that choral music should just be a classical thing um, or that choral music for, you know, teenage groups, high school choirs, that should that should be one thing that adults never do. Like, I think that there should be more crossover. I think that Mm -hmm. it only helps us. Yeah. Um, I think that's a problem of life in general, right? It's yeah, conservative totally. versus liberal. It's, <laughs> I know. You see it in yeah. everything, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's totally. Always better. We need to keep it like this. Yeah. No diversity, no like yeah. coming yeah. together. We yeah. burr, burr, burr. I sports are like that too. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have the yeah. old people who want hockey, mm-hmm. no fight all that stuff, right? It's I think I think a big thing with all these big groups like <clears throat> you get pentatonics and and, yeah. and, and Voctive. Yeah. Like, I love them. They're amazing. <laughs> but you know what? I think it it's it's also really beautiful what they're doing because they invoke a sense of familiarity yes yeah, amongst totally audiences that listen to mainstream music and it brings memories and nostalgia and mm-hmm. they can identify with that whereas if you ask someone come see Verdi Requiem where they've never heard it before mm-hmm. there there's like that kind of gap of like unfamiliarity that's a little uh intimidating to them Mm -hmm. and so that is what we have to work on is closing that gap and and telling them that it's okay you Mm -hmm. can go to a concert wearing jeans no one's gonna yell at you Mm -hmm. there's gonna be subtitles so you can follow along like it's Mm -hmm. all it's all these things that are a little bit intimidating um that i I completely understand so we have to be very mindful of that Mm -hmm. and be flexible to that it should definitely be you're going to do a choir of Taylor Swift's Red Album. Yeah. Then <laughs> you throw in the, you know, Mozart and the Beethoven's oh, yeah. in the middle. And you're just like, we're just going to do a couple songs. And then, like, everyone's dancing to Taylor Swift. You get into that and you yeah. get back into Taylor Swift as an interview. But, I mean, this is the type of thing. It's it, You're laughing, but it's so legitimate. And, I mean, um, it and it works backwards, too. I mean, uh, the NAC just like other orchestras uh, across North America, uh, it works the opposite where people only want to go see the Beethoven symphonies, the Brahms Requiem. They only want to go see these big top tens tens, Mm -hmm. and they're not interested in hearing the more contemporary classical works that composers are putting out. It freaks them out to Mm -hmm. not have that familiarity. So even for classical audiences, the same thing goes Mm -hmm. is kind of baby steps and teaching people how to appreciate music that they're not used to. Um, It's, it's kind of an art form in itself. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) They, Um, they have standalone programs on audience development mm -hmm. because it's such a huge task to tackle. I mean, first of all, you have to recognize who is your demographic, who is your, um, target audience. That is the first step. And then you go from there. Um, and you have to stick with your mandate as well. So like CCC, aka Capital Chamber Choir's mandate is to promote classical contemporary music with focus on Canadian composers. Uh, but we also, you know, we push the boundaries too, where we found ourselves performing a lot of pieces from Baltic countries as well. That is insanely beautiful. That it's And it it's works within our kind of singing and like you get a lot of symphonic choruses that are really good for more um, powerful top 10 pieces by Beethoven and Mozart whereas you get certain choirs that kind of have like this this I want to say straight tone but straight tone is basically where you sing 
with no spinning vibrato or no oh my god how do i explain this to non-classical yeah. musicians <laughs> yeah, yeah. like i basically want to say like our yeah like our soprano singing with straight tone with barely any color added so saying that to a non-classical person is like what the hell does that mean <laughs> what do you mean color like like blue like sing like blue i'm like no <laughs> yeah it's it's um it's really hard uh to explain it like it's a whole like what you just witnessed was a whole different language as well to yeah. get to to understand. Yeah, it's just it's teaching people um, that opera and choral singing and stuff. It's not the like big woman with the Viking hat on kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's not da, 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 that da, image da, 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 um, that there's. I mean, not to be offensive, but the fat lady, right? It's right, yeah. like the that's the yes. thing. That's the thing, mm-hmm. um, and. There's reasons why those images, you know, have stuck with with the, this idea, um, but it's just it's moving away from that. Just as pop and rock and folk, um, there's so many subcategories within yeah. those and different styles and different sounds. It's the same thing with classical music. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with choral music, which is why I think it's legitimate to say that, you know, a bunch of teenagers um, singing Disney songs together is still it's as legitimate to say that they're a choral group as it is mm-hmm. a professional organization singing a two hour long requiem mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah um one thing i definitely when i bring people on the podcast i want to also show like help up people understand like what goes into what they do <laughs> because mm-hmm. you know like i had my friend who was a nurse and not everyone right. understands what a nurse does or totally. even like a radio announcer it's not just totally. taking on uh, a microphone and i'm going to bring up the girl i dated again because yeah. yeah she would travel to new york city just for lessons yep she would go away <laughs> for a certain months in the summer mm-hmm. to go to camps at and, her own expense yeah too. exactly what people don't understand is yeah you said there's grants but like Mm-hmm. While it may not seem popular to people who aren't in it, this is extremely competitive. <laughs> yes. uh, like, well, like, I didn't That's understand. understand. What do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Like, we had to. I went to Montreal a couple of times with her because you know Ottawa yeah. doesn't have the greatest scene. I guess I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but just I'm like was, and like I said, the the amount of time they put into it, to, uh, not to learn another language, to yeah. understand yeah. because again, what you guys could definitely attest to this. That when you're up there singing, you're as a character. And that's something I didn't understand that you have to, it's like acting. You need to be into a character and understand a different language and what they're saying and why they're saying it and portray this. I'm like, just like going into it, I'm like, but don't you just sing on a stage and get paid? I don't don't get it. (laughs) in, In opera alone, I would say is such a grandiose art form because you have acting, you have singing, you have dancing on occasion, choreography, you've got. Um, design like you've got costumes and makeup on like it is and then you've got the orchestra backing you up or or the piano it is so many art forms put into one and you have to think of all those things it's a lot of pressure and and yeah you have to travel to these auditions and that's if that's what comes with trying to get a spot especially in the opera world you it's it's expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> it's expensive to travel most times um you have to pay like a pianist or a accompanist fee on top of that. And there's, there's a lot of entrance fees that are non-refundable. 
that are like 500 bucks. Like it's a lot of money. Just, so just for the application. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep, just to apply. And then there's additional cost to getting the audition. It's, it's crazy. But Oof. if you really, really want to get your foot in the door and you've got this, you've got the talent to back it up and go for it and I mean that's <laughs> on top of the expectation that you have at least an undergrad and graduate degree yes. in singing that your parents have been paying for lessons for you mm-hmm. since you were a kid yeah. um it yeah it's it like I said a vocation versus a career like it is a much bigger picture I think mm-hmm. the other piece that people don't really think about is um how difficult it is from a mental and emotional standpoint um, when you're dealing with such constant high levels of not just competition, but um, everyone um, critiquing you and you having to be open to that critique and being critiqued in front of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I certainly experienced um, that as a singer, um, and as a conductor too, I mean, when you, when you're in front of 200 people and you're the one that has to make decisions and we're only human. So everyone Mm -hmm. has their own opinions and Mm -hmm. ideas of whether you're right or wrong. Um, you, you have to live with that. Um, and you have to kind of navigate, um, your ego and that's I think also why there's a lot of stereotypes about divas and and divos yeah. and um, classical musicians being these really kind of snobby needy yeah. people um, well there's a reason for that <laughs> yeah. um, because we we kind of have to use our ego as um, a wall and an emotional barrier um, because it is so hard Mm -hmm. um to just be vulnerable all the time and um you know we whether it's in educational settings or just pure professional settings where you're the boss it's still you're on display all the time and it's it's exhausting Mm -hmm. it really is I can feel it. Well, you don't, <laughs> like somber. I don't feel that there's ego here, so that's good. Oh, yay. yay. <laughs> I but I'm not going to do that because I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> you should hear me sing. It's pretty bad. Um, so, like, where is the place to make it? You you go to pay all this money for auditions. You you give your life for it. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you have to go? Because I can kind of guess that Ottawa is not the place if you really want to make <laughs> no. it. No. I'd say the two places are Europe or New York. And it depends on what you're saying, make it. Right. Like, if you want to be an opera star, then, yeah, um, you have, like the Met or but there's lots of other wonderful um, opera houses mm-hmm. around the world um, as a conductor it also depends um, making it depends on what you want to do for many conductors they want to work in a university setting so getting some of these coveted positions at some of the top music schools at U of T at McGill mm-hmm. um, down in the states at all the conservatories mm-hmm. um, that's considered making it um, maybe you love the big symphonic works and you want to be chorus master for these big symphonies, symphony orchestras that could be considered making it, um, maybe making it for a conductor means that you don't have to have so many puzzle pieces that you are working for one organization that you're lucky enough to be able 
to be paid for a full-time gig with one oh, choir like that right nice? that's the dream like that's <laughs> that's the dream um so it it there is no one definition of of okay. making it I yeah. don't think well same with arts administrators like arts administrators is actually a pretty broad spectrum that could cover music visual arts um dance and, and theater mm-hmm. um, my focus is music um, specifically choral music um, so yeah it's it's definitely a very when I say an, I'm an arts administrator it can mean a million things and that also involves fundraising development um, marketing like the whole shebang basically you're you're behind the scenes making mm-hmm. it happen mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a huge undertaking and in in fact arts management jobs are really rare to come by with a good pay, um, benefits, pension, all that stuff. So um, if you wanted to make a career of it, you you have to keep it up, whether it's on a volunteer basis or you're just taking courses and whatnot mm-hmm. because uh, it's incredibly competitive. So, like, yeah, from a singing standpoint, competitive, from, from like, being a, a teacher, a professor, mm-hmm. um, being a manager, and it all is manager, competitive. It's yeah. so competitive. Mm-hmm. And these jobs, unfortunately, don't pay enough. And uh, so a lot of us have to take on second, third, fourth jobs mm-hmm. just to make it all work. Um, question about conducting. Because yeah. as a normal person, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, but as a person who's not in the music scene. Yeah. And I know a little bit about music. I took music in high school, not saying I, I so I know a little yeah, bit. Totally. But someone who was never interested in mm-hmm. any of this music stuff, you're just the person with the pointy stick who waves it around. I'm, with, I am the person with the pointy yeah, stick. With no yep. rhyme or reason. You're just waving the stick and look at that. <laughs> I can be a conductor too. Um, but honestly, I, I know a little bit about it. Yeah. Uh, but like, what goes into being a conductor besides waving the pointy stick? Before you get into this, I just have to say conducting is also an art form in itself. It's a whole different beast. So, Deirdre, tell us. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, right? Like, everyone just thinks you wave the it's stick. Insane. It's insane. Everyone plays. <laughs> um, I think the best way to describe being a conductor is you wear a huge amount of hats. <laughs> Um, and so there certainly is that aspect of um, being the the leader, the guide, the facilitator, um, waving your arms around. Um, to me, the waving my arms around is like the smallest part of mm-hmm. my job. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. I have spent and continue to spend a large amount of time um, learning how to do that and finessing it and... Um, making sure that what I'm doing is not for me <laughs> to make me look fancy or anything, mm-hmm. but that all my, my gestures have meaning to them um, so that I am helping um, all of the singers I work with um, create music together and be able to collaborate. And I, I think that is really the role of a conductor um, in that moment in rehearsals or in concerts is that when you have um, – as you know, hundreds of people, or even when it's just 15 to 50, um, collaboration is hard. Um, we all kind of know that whether that's being yeah. in school and working on group projects or working with our coworkers, yeah. collaborating is difficult. And as a conductor, I think what we're primarily doing is helping all of the singers collaborate, um, and just kind of being that, um, 
that common thread through mm-hmm. it all, that helping vessel. to, yeah, to, to make some decisions and, um, yeah. So that's the, that's the part that most people see is yeah. the conductor standing in front of everyone. Um, I spend a lot of time by myself, um, prepping Aww. the music. It's not bad. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I, I like it. Um, that's another thing is you have to have equal sides, introvert and extrovert yeah. in you to be a conductor. Oh, yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time prepping scores because I, I need to know the score better than anyone in the room. I need to be able to answer questions immediately. Um, each of the singers has their own line that they need to be able to sing um, to the best that they can. Um, but I still, I need to know all those lines and also see the big picture of how it all comes together. When I'm working with an orchestra, I need to know all the orchestra lines. Um, so that's a big undertaking just in itself. Um, and also rehearsal management and rehearsal methodology. Um, I Amy's nodding her head because we know what it's like to sit through a horrible two, three hour rehearsal where you're just doing the same thing over and over and over and have someone yelling yeah. at you or, you know, it it's an art form in itself to be able to um, lead a workshop, teach a class, lead a rehearsal in a way that everyone is feeling inspired and motivated. So you also have to set aside any shitty day that you've had, any exhaustion that you're feeling and go in there being positive, ready to motivate and inspire. Um, and then crash at the end of rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, it, I think the best feeling for me is when I walk away from a rehearsal and I see all of the singers whistling and laughing and, and they are excited about the music and they feel like they just had a really productive couple of hours um, and I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a really good feeling for me, actually. I, I don't know if it's the same feeling, but when I used to be in band class and you'd have like a piece and it would come together and everyone hits their parts. Like you just get this like oh, goosebumpy yeah, moment. Yeah. Like, oh my God. That's the goal. That's <laughs> the goal. <laughs> do, you, do, you know, do you know that meme where it's like an arm with goosebumps and it says like when the music is good, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. It was funny. And like, yeah. I mean, that was just something I took in school and uh, yeah. it was funny though. I used to play euphonium. Uh, nice. And I could have had a scholarship. <laughs> But I was like, there's no way I'm going into music. No, no offense. But I, was, I didn't uh, think there was any jobs. Oh, I, there, well, there's not. I dated yeah. a tuba player. There's no jobs. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, I, like, I appreciate the, the, the two grand scholarship or whatever it was, but I'm going to go uh, yeah. do radio. <laughs> no jobs. Lucrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, do you think it's any different um, being a woman versus a man in this? Um, <laughs> Reason why I ask is um, you mentioned we mentioned the fat lady earlier. Yeah. yeah. But from what I understand in dating that girl, that no, you are supposed to be in shape and good shoulders and strong chest to do confidence. Yeah. There's no room for the fat lady in, mm-hmm. in opera. Like it's it's like acting. Like you need to have a certain body type to yeah. be considered mm-hmm. successful. Um, I don't know if it's the same for men uh, with that. If there's a certain with them, but mm-hmm. do you? Do you feel any, like what's the difference in terms of trying to make it as a career? And it's it's like night and day. Um, there was an article I like to say was this year or last year about an opera singer that um, 
immensely talented, but she got turned down a role or she got fired because she was, to their standards, overweight. And mm. uh, I, she did, like, a huge article on it. And I, again, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure she sued them or she, she did, she... She, uh, it's so tough because if you go down that road, there's yeah. no coming back. Like, yeah. you either put up with it and try to keep making it, yeah. or. But she definitely raised awareness and trying to get rid of this stigma that, you know, I'm, I have an image, I have an amazing voice, and to me, it just it shouldn't matter what I look like. Like, mm -hmm. we'd be wearing costumes anyways and have makeup on, but that shouldn't matter to me. That. It's it's the performance, it's the character I play, and some people can't see past that um, in opera companies. And yeah, and even from a conducting standpoint, um, my my good friend Dr. Sarah Brooks did her thesis on gesture, uh, female composers and gesture, and how some of their gestures can be interpreted a certain way because they're a woman, That's and how nice. men can do the same gesture and it'll be interpreted differently. That's like, what do you mean? Like you wave your arm a certain way and they're yeah. like, mm, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I just, it's, like... it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I have so much to say about this topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got time. I mean, it's the two perspectives, like, because you were bringing it up from the opera perspective. Um, it, it's, uh, a different world, like going back to when we were talking about social media and audience, um, Attention. Like Amy said, you can now go to Cineplex and go see an opera live from the Met. Um, and that means that the, the way the art of opera used to be, where you were on a stage projecting to hundreds and hundreds of people who are crazy far away from you, that's different now. Um, there are now cameras right on you as if you were mm -hmm. acting in a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and and now opera producers and companies, they're seeing it through that lens and that perspective that people are going to see you up close and personal and you better be pretty. And, yeah. you know, you you better be able to fit into these roles of the ingenue and um, the pretty blonde girl that all the men are trying to pick up. Um, and that in itself leads to a much bigger conversation about uh, the themes found in in opera stories and, and classical music and um, and opens up a whole other conversation about um, you know the the power structures between men and women in well, these types of things in history too right? and like exactly 17 women were unfortunately not really viewed as people at all back then totally um, totally um, Currently, the what I do primarily for my career is um, is conducting, so I can certainly speak to that. Uh, I am super lucky to have surrounded myself by like these crazy badass female conductors for most yeah. of my life, and that's been really important to me. Um, when I went to grad school, I made sure that I was studying with a female conductor because um, I wanted to learn. Uh, I wanted to be inspired and figure out how to be a badass bitch on the podium <laughs> yeah. while still being respected. Yeah, that must be because in, in my mind, when I think of conductor and it's like you, all, I've only ever seen like old dudes mm -hmm. doing it. I've yeah. never seen 
a young yeah. woman doing it before, yeah ever <laughs> well and i mean i keep i always come back to this beyonce quote um where she says i'm not i'm not bossy i'm the boss mm. um yeah yeah <laughs> and that's and that's the thing um i one of the organizations i work for right now is almost 80 years old um, it's a very long-standing organization. We'll be celebrating our 80th anniversary in a couple of seasons. Um, and I'm the first woman who's ever stood in front of them um, as as an employee, an artistic employee of the organization. Um, that I, it, It's crazy to think about that, and yet <laughs> yes. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Um, and it... It has taken some people a while to get used to um, when they're when you're not used to seeing a woman in a place of authority, whether you think you are a feminist or not, whether you theoretically are fine with the mm-hmm. idea of a woman telling you what to do when push comes to shove um, and a woman is is in a place of authority where you're not expecting to see her in a place of authority. Um, it, it's really interesting to see people's reactions and the things that they're doing consciously versus unconsciously. Yeah. Um, it must be the unconscious too. Cause like you're, people are trying, right. Or yeah. good people are, are trying. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always thought my mom was always the alpha growing up. Mm-hmm. Like I was scared of my mom. Not my yeah. Dad, yeah. My <laughs> and now as work, I, the, the three people I report to directly are all women. Mm-hmm. I think I don't have, weird signs or anything and there's respect but i don't know what i do unconsciously but and that's the mm-hmm. thing right like with with this organization i i work with wonderful people you know the other artistic team are so respectful and supportive um the board i work for is phenomenal um the choristers themselves are are great but it's so interesting to see you know the sometimes the speaking out of turn or the talking while i'm talking um the the correcting things that they would never do Mm. um with a man there um and i know they're not aware of it Mm -hmm. um so it it's you get frustrated you get angry Mm -hmm. and then you take a step back and you're like well there's no use in being angry in this situation they're not even aware of it so how can i Mm -hmm. how can i educate um well, yeah, not only are you a woman, you're a young woman. A young woman. And you said you, there's people in the choir up to 63. Oh, you know? oh and this yeah. particular one is older than that. That's so, what I mean. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, people, are, I, I assume, would be like, I've been in music longer than she's been alive. And she's telling oh, me Oh, absolutely. To do. So you're dealing with ageism as yeah. well as sexism, for sure. 100%. Um, yeah. It, even from a, from a choir manager perspective, when I have to be um, stern or... Yeah, pr- yeah. I would guess when I have to be stern about something, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it can be interpreted as me being just a full-on bitch and yeah. intimidating. Yep. When all I want to do is just get the point across, because you could say there's like two sides of me. Like when I'm in choir management mode, like I'm in business. Mm-hmm. Like there's no dicking around. I need this from you. Can you please make it happen? And I'm counting on you. Mm-hmm. And I try to be as friendly as I can, but I need them to understand that I'm not trying to be a bitch here. I just, I felt like I've really had to work on them viewing my assertiveness as me just 
doing my job, doing job. and not yeah. being a jerk. And there is, I've been in a couple of choirs where I had to work really, really hard to get to that point where they respected me because before that I, I felt like uh, I wasn't taken seriously because I was a woman. Yeah, there's so yeah. many assumptions. I mean, yeah. when I started... Conduct- and that I'm young too, Yeah, sorry. No, no, yeah. exactly. I mean, I... I'm I'm blonde. Um, I when I first started conducting choirs in Ottawa, um, the amount of times I got the the question, so you must be an elementary school music teacher in your day job, right? And I go, no, no, this this is my job. Um, I conduct choirs and I conduct adults. And they go, oh, well, we just assumed you're just so bubbly and and happy. Um, and this is a whole. It's, it's a whole kind of cultural shift, too, in the role of authority. And so many choristers, older choristers, are are literally used to being yelled at um, by men. Um, mm-hmm. That is what they expect from a choral conductor, is someone to come in and yell at them that they're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not my approach. Um, and I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about who I wanted to be in front of these people, who I wanted to be on the podium, it would be very easy for me to take that approach and to yell, especially trying to mm-hmm. force my authority there. Um, but I, for so many reasons, I, I don't want to be that type of conductor, or that mm-hmm. type of person. So how do I show my authority without yelling? Um, especially when they go, oh, well, she's just so cheerful she must she must work with kids yeah. I have huge amount of respect for people who work with kids um, yeah. it is not me um, but it's interesting how people's you know yeah. they make assumptions yeah. their mind goes there yeah mm-hmm. do you think because this all must be like women kind of becoming I guess more you know, as a conductor in the music mm-hmm. scene just talking mm-hmm. um, that it must only be in the last I don't know not even 20 years that this really started to take off I could be wrong or was it earlier than that you can correct me if I'm wrong. There um, have been some really phenomenal female conductors. Um, in I'll, I'll stick with Canada in the Canadian choral scene um, who have paved the way for people like me. Um, people like Lydia Adams in Toronto, Diane Loomer in Vancouver, um, people who um, have dealt with the worst of this because they were some of the first Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. doing it. So when did they kind of start? Just, I'm trying to get a timeline of when. Oh gosh, I'm really bad with this kind of stuff. 80s, you can say 80s, 90s, 2000s. I would say 80s, 90s. Yeah. So really we're talking within the last 40 years is when women started to take more of a prominent role in the. A prominent role. Yeah. Um, And we're really lucky in Canada that some of the most prominent Actually, I would argue that the vast majority of the most prominent choral conductors are women um, because you still have Lydia, you have Elise Bradley with the Toronto Children's Choir, you have Christina Murray with Zara in Nova Scotia, you have Morna Edmondson, mm-hmm. um, Kathleen, you, Allen. Kathleen Allen, yeah. you have like really... I love that you know all their names. Oh my gosh! Oh, and, yeah. and the list and the oh, list yeah. goes on. Like I'm I'm leaving out so many wonderful, phenomenal conductors because we're so lucky right now yeah. to to um, be seeing that happen. Um, in the states, it's significantly different. Well, yeah, the states is 
Yeah. America. 1920 right now. I don't know what yeah. Well, there's that. Um, in orchestras, it's very different. Yeah. Um, there are some really badass, amazing female orchestral conductors. Um, it is definitely much more of a challenge. Um, I think what has made it a little easier in the um, choral world is there are women's choirs and children's choirs, um, and you are still getting these fierce badass women leading these organizations but it's easier for society to celebrate them when they go oh well they're conducting children's choirs or they're conducting women's choirs that just makes sense um and not that that's fair because it takes just as much um skill and ability and uh dedication um to doesn't matter who the, mm-hmm. the singers are, but I think it's been a little bit easier um, for society to swallow that. Um, and that's, but that's being pushed. Um, Julia Davids conducts the Canadian Chamber Choir. Um, we had mentioned Kathleen Allen, who is also another young uh, choral conductor who is working um, with some of the top choirs in mm-hmm. Canada. Um, and that I think is a, uh, a little bit more difficult as soon as women are in front of men mm-hmm. or male identifying uh, singers um, it just gets incrementally mm-hmm. a little bit more difficult yeah do you feel the tides changing a little bit or absolutely a lot, or mm-hmm. I can feel the tides changing just in Ottawa in the couple of years yeah. I've been here conducting I I feel it mm-hmm. it's exciting um, even at the podium, so uh, Podium Choral Conference and Festival is a um, festival held every two years. It's a, I mean, yeah, it's a choral yeah. conference and festival. Mm-hmm. So you get a combination of performances uh, from choirs on the national and international platform. And then you also have sessions and uh, seminars. And I see every programming of these conferences growing into more sessions given and performed by women, which I think is amazing. So it's it's really good to see that they're they're balancing it out mm-hmm. in the right way. It's funny. I've always associated opera more with women than I did with men. I know there's mm-hmm. men opera singers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I've always associated more as like a, a woman singing mm-hmm. than a, a man. Yeah. A man. But I guess in the industry, it, you guys know much more about it. It's, it's not that it's not mm-hmm. so, I would say. Well, it's not. I mean, you, you need men to sing in these shows as well. Yeah. Well, you know, there was, there was one thing growing up that really struck out to me. I went to school with a boy who was into figure skating, and he got teased so much for it that he oh, actually yeah. stopped. Yeah. And he had crazy talent. And just, I guess, the whole stigma of you're a guy, you don't do stuff like that like really got to him and he and he stopped and it broke my heart to hear that like he opened up to me once and said yeah I really wish I didn't make that decision but the pressure was so strong and and he wasn't in the right environment of kids for that 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 really affected him and so I think that kind of streamlines a little bit into the opera world you get guys that sing and um they think it's not a manly thing so they they stop and um, but I feel now like it's definitely pretty, pretty well balanced in terms of how many candidates you'll get at competitions is pretty well balanced. But uh, yeah, uh, there's two big pieces to this. One mm-hmm. is 
boys tend to stop singing through puberty. Right. Um, which makes sense because mm-hmm. they're embarrassed to sing and oh, your voice is cracking mm-hmm. and, totally and it's it. and you're and you don't know you you know, as a young boy you're singing soprano and alto and suddenly you're in tenor or bass territory and you really don't know how to navigate that. It's it's difficult. Um and now you are seeing choral conductors who adamantly keep these boys mm-hmm. um singing. Um and and even girls are going through changes with their vocal cords through puberty. It's just um, less of a distinct change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are all these wonderful uh, children's choir conductors who are are doing the work to learn how to help these kids um, walk through this awkward time yeah. um, and still keep singing so you would see a lot of boys drop out of choirs and drop out of singing and never get back into it mm-hmm. um, and that that's been part of it and of course the other one is just the decline of music education and school systems in yeah. general so sad. it's awful oh. um, and it's oh. hard because yeah. in choirs you will see so many more sopranos and altos than you will tenors and basses yeah. Um, and that it, those are the two things it boils down to is boys not continuing to sing after childhood and mm-hmm. uh, the music education system not being there to teach them. I think it's yeah. such an important piece to to everything you can apply and not just music, though it is important, but all sorts of art because it gives you it almost helps you think of things differently i i find mm-hmm. at least like um, learning music and watching how things came together um the practice like it, it teaches so many other skills that i can i applied to sports or yeah. i applied yes. to yep. uh applied to learning or e- even now like I, I look back on my appreciation for music and it helped me I almost think it made me empathize with people a little Absolutely. bit Absolutely, um, yes. I know going through my teens, um, music I really felt was the only thing that was there for me. And I know a lot yep. of people yeah. feel that way too. And, you know, you, you hear the lyrics and it's almost like uh, they were writing to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I look back at people like Corey Taylor or Chester Bennington and the things they wrote on paper. I'm like, that is what I'm feeling. That's what I'm feeling. This is me. Um, Especially in your angsty teenage years. Yes. You don't know what's going on. All these changes, all these feelings. It's just like, that's what I feel. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like they're uh, taking it away from people um, and not having that same appreciation. And not that I'm against top 40 music, but Mm -hmm. one of the things I find most troubling about it is it's, it's empty. To me, it, it doesn't invoke feeling or passion. Sure, it makes me feel good. It makes you fist bump or rage yeah. or yeah. something like that. Which, going back to classical music, is why I would love to see more people un- appreciate classical music with context. And it's our jobs as arts administrators and as artists to put the context in place. It's not mm-hmm. the job of the audience to mm-hmm. understand context. But if the context is in place then it goes back to those goosebumpy moments. It goes back to the, I'm feeling angsty or melancholy and I just, I just want to feel things and it lets you feel those things. Yeah. Yeah, But, and I don't know what it is about our curriculum or the people in charge, but taking all that away and not just music, like I said, like art, like painting, all the same drawing or art or, you know, whatever else things it is. Visual arts, dance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dance is like even, more or less so relevant i find like you you start as a little kid and you're like yeah i love dance and then everyone just kind of moves away from it when yeah. you get older yeah did you find that post 
Um, I'm actually <laughs> looking for something else. Um, so I have a blog called Blonde in the Choir. Oh, nice plug. And I wrote a post some years ago about uh, popular music for classical musicians, my recommendations. And before I elaborated on this topic, I asked uh, people on Facebook, what are your views of popular music and classical music? And um, someone described this in the most perfect way. But, of course, this is um, not catered to everyone, but uh, this is what he says. It's all part of a complete musical diet. Brahms, Schubert, Debussy, and Bach are like the meat, potato, veggies, flavors, and spices that sustain my brain, heart, body, and soul. And then we have Kesha, Kanye, Beyonce that act as the ice cream, junk food, beer, and pizza. (laughs) These guilty pleasures are also very important in helping us express our humanity and can be very enjoyable. But as for me, I think it's healthier to experience them in moderation. Mm. Interesting, eh? I would jump in and say that an artist like Beyonce is just as much of meat and potatoes than the Brahms and Beethoven. However, yes. And this is just just Mm. a quote from from someone... um, off Facebook and but it's good that's a good it's mm-hmm. a it's an interesting analogy of course people will disagree with yeah. that but when people I read that I'm right like <laughs> yeah but like in a very general sense yeah it makes what it would makes you think sense. things like hip-hop or metal uh fall into because those are <laughs> funny but to me and I'm talking about like 90s rap or not the mumble rap they call it today but yeah to me both of those are both like poetry and, yes. and they really yes. go through and tell a story. It's yes. forms uh, of expression. Yeah. Where, like I said, like I find the new stuff, not all of it, obviously, yeah. but the bangers usually are just like, shake your ass on the floor. I know. Like drinks up high. You've got to remember <laughs> that in every era and every decade in the, in the past century, in every era of music, there's always been that. Mozart was never saying, put your booty on the floor. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but sure I thought time, about it. <laughs> Mozart was so prolific, but so much of what he was writing, he was being paid to write, and he would write in five minutes in his sleep. Okay. And I am sure he's not rolling in his grave for me to say that a lot of it at the time was, was considered this like light, fluffy, easy stuff. Now, he certainly wrote masterpieces um, mm-hmm. And so much of his of his output is like that, but fluff, quote unquote, is not something that is new in the 21st century. Mm, okay. um, it is not something that is specific to 2018. It has always been there. Um, yeah, that's just that's just an over overarching yeah. umbrella comment yeah. to make. Um, but you should comment on the other stuff. Yeah, it's funny because I, mean, I see you. You're always at like metal concerts with like yeah, big I'm guys that, with beards and yeah, I'm I'm that weird classical metal hybrid that oh. you will that you will meet. Um, Not to jump in, but yeah, a lot of. Uh, female uh, metal singers I think come from yep. operatic backgrounds. Yes, right? sir. Yes. Nightwish, uh, uh, Unleash the Archers, um, Arch, Arch Enemy. Arch Enemy. Yeah. yeah, they all stem from classical training. Um, a specific genre of metal that's pretty popular with that is power metal or doom metal. Doom metal is a lot more like not background noise, but it's not the big belty sound. It's like, it's more... Um, <laughs> 
A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I know uh, Serge Tankin and Bruce Dickinson also came from operatic backgrounds. So there must be yep. some sort of core relation in the they, It technique all relates. Or... And I say this, yes. I, I've said it before and I say it again. It all roots back to the top tens in classical music. It all roots back to where it all originated from. It's all a product of how it all started. And so everyone just expresses it in a different style, in a different way. Um, now, my involvement in the metal community is, um, I love it for so many reasons. Uh, one, it, it can be just as technical as classical music. Um, metal has an endless amount of subgenres. They have thrash metal, yeah. prog metal. They have math metal, which is as technical as it can get. It's incredible. Um, and I just, I love how different the audiences are. You could go to um, a choir concert, sit in a pew, be engaged in a very different way. And then you go to a metal show and you could have like the shittiest day of your life, go to a metal show and just like headbang it out or go in the mosh pit. You don't have to, but, uh, and just let all that energy out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just went in one this summer for the first time in a couple of years and me too. <laughs> I was like, wow. And I thought I was in shape. I go to the gym. I do some push-ups. But I'm yeah. Woo! Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, uh, there's so many misconceptions about the metal community. Everyone thinks we're Satanists. Everyone oh thinks... It's the nicest they, thing ever. They are the <laughs> nicest people I've ever met. Like, I remember I was at a, a heavy MTL in Montreal back when it was a little bit bigger. And I, I think it was in flames I was seeing. I was in the mosh okay. pit. And someone's sunglasses got knocked off. And everyone, like, yeah. stopped it. Whoa. Stop what you're doing. Everyone, yeah. picked it up. You good? You good? Okay, go. And then like, oh, yeah. Just, like, yeah. Everyone is there for each other. You're going to get, like, the the odd asshole that is too drunk and just wants to wreak havoc. And that is not tolerated. Like, no, they will that... take you out. Um, but, yeah, everyone is so nice to each other. Uh, we're all there for the same goal, is to just enjoy the music in front of mm -hmm. us. If you want to punch the air, if you want to kick the air, if you want to push people, as long as like they're cool with it, mm -hmm. go for it. It's so freeing. Yet, um, you can also stand at the back and just like headbang and close your eyes and just let it all sink in. It's a completely different um, dynamic in audience. And I love getting a mix of both. It is... It's incredibly fulfilling to me. Mm. Um, I love seeing both sides, and and I think that's why like audience engagement is such a huge thing for me. Um, and and yeah, like you said in the mosh pit, everyone is there for each other. Um, yeah, it's I I there's nothing negative that I. Well, there are some negative things I can say about the metal community, but like the positives outweigh the negatives. Yeah, it's always the when the women are crowd surfing and the fingers going up, and yeah. you're like, "Man, yeah. why?" Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it's also um, like the metal community is definitely more male dominated. So yes. when you do walk into a music venue at a metal show and you're one of the five girls there, you definitely feel. Um, exposed in a way and like I have bright silver hair so I definitely pop more than most people mm -hmm. um like a lot of the girls there will usually have like dark 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 raven hair you know and and I'm here like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the men I found at least are introverts and 
they don't yeah. talk to a lot of women and yeah you know, so. they just kind of like stare but they try not to be creepy about it but they are still some of the nicest people yeah. um so i had to get used to that uh when i first started going back uh, there was a while that i i kind of stepped back from the metal scene uh relationships and everything and 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 you know sometimes when you're in relationships you have to make sacrifices to, in Music's order to find a middle ground music's never one of them yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the circumstances it just kind of worked at the time and then when that relationship ended, I found myself again and it was absolutely wonderful. So getting back into that and not really knowing anyone in the metal community, it was it was really scary. I would stand by myself most of the time at shows and then I started seeing the same people at every show because it's, it's a very thriving community, but it's also very small. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy to get to know some of the people that are there and they're all incredibly welcoming um it's the age gap is also very interesting um so i am no longer in my 20s um and so going to a metal show um you see a lot of the girls there that are quite young and it's as if like they get out of their metal phase by the time they're like 23 (laughs) um so like there's me and then there's some of these young girls but they are just as awesome and and a lot of people ask me like aren't you kind of old for that scene i'm like (laughs) no man because the guys are like my age usually and it's just the girls that are super young but everyone is just there for the same goal to just have a good time Mm -hmm. and and yeah i love it i love it i love having the two dynamics it's incredibly fulfilling to me are you also a metalhead I am not a metalhead. No. But you don't just listen to classical all the time. I very rarely listen to classical music, actually. Because that's more like work, right? It is. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, when I was in high school, um, I always knew that I was going to go into music. I was one of those kids that, like, started playing piano when they were four, and it was always Mm -hmm. obvious what I was going to do. And my high school band teacher went, now, you know... Now that you're like are gonna go to music school, silence is going to become very valuable, and music yeah. is not gonna mean the same thing to you as it used to. And uh, yeah, damn, he was very right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I very rarely listen to classical music. I listen to a lot of like Canadian folk. I listen to a lot of hip hop. Mm, um, nice. Y- so one of my favorite things about music is like you can never define somebody. You can never just look at somebody and be like, this is the taste of music you have. Right? Yeah, totally. Right? Like, I would never have been like, you're a hip-hop person. Yeah, right? I never would have yeah. been like, you're a metal person. <laughs> yeah. Most people look at me and they're like, you're just some white guy who enjoys... Top 40? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. Not at all. <laughs> you're wrong. It's just yeah. like one of my favorite things. It's just like, oh, you like hip-hop? Okay. Like, yeah. down in the car. Yeah. Like, yeah totally oh i love (laughs) that stuff yeah and a lot of people ask me like what kind of music do you like (laughs) it's mostly on tinder they ask me that and i'm like honestly it's such it's it's, everything it's literally everything i appreciate everything i'll have days where i listen to just rap other days i'll listen to musicals other days um metal and it's it, it changes all the time because i don't have a favorite i focus on two genres mostly but everything else like i love and appreciate appreciate it all because it all comes from the same place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. super deep i love it i'm a deep and in- <laughs> no i'm not interesting um <laughs> i i'm i'm a very deep person and throws people off sometimes <laughs> which i kind of 
Do you think it's to do with it. the music at all? Like it, <laughs> it makes you more introspective, and like you, like you said, dude, that mm-hmm. it, um, exposing yourself, making yourself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Do you like does music do that? I don't know. Like, I, I also like to think of myself as like a kind of a deeper thinker. Uh, yeah, this uh, is why it's so upsetting that music education is being cut from school curriculums. Is it? I mean, it is proven um, that the skills that you get from music are completely transferable to sports, to math, to science, to all of those things. Um, But it is also empathy, self-awareness, not just connecting with your emotions, but navigating them, um, being able to address how you're feeling. Um, There's a reason why music therapy is so successful. There's a reason that using music um, with autistic kids is so successful. There's a reason when people have anger management issues that it's so successful because it helps you navigate your emotions. Um, And yeah, I, I just, I think that in 21st century, um, with so much of the societal and emotional crap that we have to wade through, to be taking music out of the core curriculum and putting nothing in its place um, when it comes to emotions and and dealing with your emotions is just so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a lot of crap going on, though. Yeah, there sure <laughs> is. Uh, what in particular... Do you find yourself paying attention to the most? Um, you can answer that either one oh, of you. All the crap of the world, jeez. I mean, there's there's so much going on. There's so much oh to God. know. It's so there's overwhelming. Not only you know uh, the stating the obvious is I'm a, a man and you're women. The the gender uh, imbalance. <laughs> yeah, imbalance and the kind of the clash going on mm-hmm. right now between both. There's mm-hmm. uh, I had my brother on in the first podcast who. Um, shed some light on the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. learning a little bit about that. But there's also, you know, just that's the cultural war that's going on in our society. But there's, you know, North Korea and Russia and, mm-hmm. and oh my, God, my yeah. God, Donald Trump and the Kavanaugh oh. thing. Oh. <laughs> and that's, like, that's only one of so many stories in the, in the yeah. Bill Cosby yeah. just got convicted. Um, yeah. You know, the well, and that, sexual assault. This is, is a huge thing that's being unearthed in the classical music uh, realm, too, mm-hmm. is sexual assault. Really? And I mean, yep. um, one of my favorite Canadian conductors um, mm. in the past couple of years... Uh, the stories started flooding about, you know, um, the, his sexual assaults. Um, and it, it kills you when you're in a community, in a small community yeah. that you feel is safe um, and it's your family. Um, and, and yeah, it, it just sucks. Yeah, it sucks <laughs> to see that. And it's everywhere. No one's safe. No one's safe. Yeah. Um, no, no community is safe. It, it, yeah, it no permeates commu- everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm pulling up the, um, not to steer the conversation, I'm pulling up the National Choral Census uh, that was curated by Choral Canada, and it's got a whole bunch of, like, fun facts about choir music. Oh. Um, and uh, but we can discuss that later <laughs> if you want. What's the, well, what is what are the fun facts? Um, some fun facts. We've got. Uh, are they actually fun? They're actually kind of cool. I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a choral singer in one in six households. Oh. Uh, 
was the one about hockey? It was I so thought that was cool. going to go a lot like deeper. Like you're just like whipping it out as we're talking about sexual assault. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. My segue is awful. <laughs> um, where's the one with hockey? Okay. Choral singing. 3.5 million Canadians sing in choirs. Would be largest. Uh, would be the largest city in Canada. 27% larger than the population of Toronto. Um, there are 50% more adult choral singers than hockey players. Canada's, Canada's national pastime is quite Yeah, it sure is. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I thought it would, you know, share that with you guys. But yeah, you can, you can like just search the National Choral Census and it's got all those facts on there. And it was just released, I think, like a year ago. Um, yeah, so that would actually be something really cool to share. Um, like going back to how we expose this information to well just how accessible the yeah choir yeah it's just a show is. like it's all around you you just don't really know it <laughs> yeah i just need more people talking about it yeah um, i i admit that i mm -hmm. only really went because i was pursuing that one woman uh, i haven't been since <laughs> yeah 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 that'd be awesome but yeah, it's like there are a lot of instances like going back to the whole Kavanaugh, like like oh my god, segue back. I know, I know, I know. I got to keep the focus. Is it, is it bad? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think like I just um, when I read her speech, I was just it, who Doctor Ford's. Is yeah, that what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. even another segue because I was talking about is it bad in the music community? Oh. Obviously, yes, it's bad. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! In the music Guys, community, yeah. Interesting. I'm sleep deprived. Sorry. I think. <laughs> I mean, I, as much as I have gotten upset over conductors um, that I admire, um, allegations coming out about them, um, I've personally been lucky enough that in my my circle of choirs that I'm associated with, nothing like that has come out. Me too. Um, but I think I would be really naive. It would be really naive of me to think that it it will never. Like we're we're living in a really fascinating um, time in history. It may not be a great time in history, but it's a fascinating time in history. And I think that um, it's a painful process, but it you know. Seeing how the whole Kavanaugh thing went down is really frustrating um, and mm -hmm. disheartening. But at the same time, you know, there's been all of these um, comparisons to Dr. Ford to Anita Hill and, and, and Anita Hill's allegations back in the 90s and, and talking about how um, then in the early 90s there was just this huge influx of, of females in these positions of power that came out of that. And I think that's an important thing remember um it's i mean it's what i tell myself too on days that i'm dealing not with ageism and sexism not that not that it's not that it's as heavy as dealing with sexual assault but just that it sucks in the moment um but i see it getting better mm -hmm. um that i'm sure that the female conductors who came before me um it, I can't imagine how hard it was for them, but I'm so thankful for them um, because yeah. it paved the way for me to be able to be in this career. Um, so I think that looking at people like Nita Hill, looking at people like Dr. Ford um, and going, yeah, like I, I can't imagine how difficult 
it was to to come forward and do those things. Mm-hmm. But how wonderful is it that they are paving yeah. the way for yeah. things to get better in the future? One of the the best quotes uh, I saw on the internet about this whole situation is it was like whether um, Kavanaugh did or did not uh, sexually assault her, or these stories are true or false, that the fact that this all came to light during a job interview, because this was, we, yeah, we, we forget we that forget. this was not a court case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a, 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 essentially it was a job interview mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. And that the antics, you know, him yelling, uh, the, some of his answers, the controversy. Who the what, fuck does that what, in a job interview? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Be like, like, you know, if I'm in a job interview and you're like, hey, Ryan, so have you ever sexually assaulted anyone? I'd be like, mm-hmm. And like yelling. Like, yeah. very defensive. Whoa, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, the fact that and even the interesting thing I find is uh, people I follow that kind of I would guess you could say are controversial intellectuals or even kind of like just based on that one idea that like he should step down morally because Mm -hmm. especially for the Supreme Court like Mm -hmm. you want someone who's like just and Mm kind of doesn't have baggage whether I think now with social media that's going to be so much harder for everybody no matter who you are to not have some sort of backstory or baggage or some stupid thing you did when you were an early adult Mm -hmm. um it's true you know like it's to have even like the president of the united states or a world leader to be perfectly squeaky clean everyone's gonna know about it now oh yeah all the dirty laundry yeah it's gonna it it, i love it i don't love it but that's the quote that um that it's such a crazy time yeah with with social media and yeah you just know so much more about everybody oh, exactly. than anyone ever did Skeletons before. in the closet. Oh, yeah. No such thing anymore. I see my Facebook yeah. memories pop up. I'm like, Brian, what? why did you post yeah, that? Yeah, right? I know, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a post from 2007 where I said, Amy is a macadamian. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what was I thinking? It's the yeah. most random thing ever. But yeah, like going back to the whole um, like Kavanaugh case, um, I try to find the silver lining in every situation like that. Um while the vote i believe the vote went ahead right or they delayed uh, it by a week i think so i don't know if the confirmation has happened yeah but two of the people who were wavering two yeah. of the senators yeah yesterday said that they would confirm vote to confirm him yeah. so, so it's all but assured yeah. yeah i think it was supposed to be this morning so yeah. interesting okay yeah so so watching her speech i mean i i think every person man or woman that has experienced sexual assault or, or an awful awful experience similar to that um was there with her they they felt like they were there with her and were reflecting on their own experiences whether it was a month or 10 or 50 years ago mm-hmm. i felt there with her and i i have my own story that i i do not want to share but mm-hmm. i really felt like like i am with you and i believe you i mean you you take a look at i'm I mean, I guess I guess image is is not important in this case, but she is an established woman, an educated woman. Why would why would she ruin? Why would she potentially ruin everything? Um, coming forward with this, and people think she's making. I I could not believe in some of the comments that people thought she was making it up. Mm-hmm. I thought that is awful that you would assume that. Why would a woman who has who has a career and and everything and just potentially jeopardize that with this made up story. I cannot believe that you would 
that you would assume she's making this up. Like mm-hmm. she put everything at risk. Yeah. Why would why would someone do that? Yeah. Unless they're like batshit batshit crazy, but that is um, really rare cases. You're right. It, yeah. it, it is rare. Uh, I, there was that. There was a graphic going around, and it was like the amount of people who actually out of a hundred women, it was like point zero point two percent actually make it up. Yeah. Um. It's fun. It's not funny. That's not the term I want to use. But like, mm-hmm. you, I, I kind of trying to walk the line where I don't want to discredit a woman ever coming mm-hmm. forward with her story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to have some sort of presumption of innocence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I want is like, let's not focus so much on this social media justific like the the mob mentality the outrage mm-hmm. let's focus that energy that passion that anger mm-hmm. on fo- on fixing the system yeah. so we can actually achieve justice that mm-hmm. we don't have to literally eviscerate victims mm-hmm. of rape and sexual assault and like destroy their lives just to try to get a conviction mm-hmm. i mean how amazing would it have been if instead of screaming and yelling about his own innocence Kavanaugh had screamed and yelled about the work that the United States has to do in supporting sexual Mm -hmm. assault survivors Mm -hmm. and you know name dropped a ton of organizations that have had their funding taken away in the past few years that need to have their funding back and you know there I think that we do focus a lot on the whole concept of blame and innocence and um i agree that it it just needs to be like a turnover of energy and where that energy goes and what we actually talk about yeah mm-hmm. well, here's a, a question uh, if you want to don't want to answer that's fine mm-hmm. but say uh kavanaugh came on and was like look i made a really shitty mistake when i was a teenager and i've been living with it every day i did do what she said i'm incredibly sorry um, it, uh, I was young, I was drinking, I was stupid, but I did it. Like he, he mm-hmm. owned it. Mm-hmm. He sounded sincere. Mm-hmm. What do you think the reaction would be from, you know, you as women who I'm sure, and it's one of the saddest things now that I'm learning is that when I meet a woman or I have a woman friend that they probably have a story. Oh, and yes. And that, that makes me incredibly sad. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so many men as well. I, I like, like the, there's just so many. I know men do f- do experience it but i don't i don't i personally don't like to use that well, men also experience it. well it's not just the men also but i think that i think that is an important step forward that instead of segregating um and i mean i've already talked about the whole con- you know fem- feminism and and being a female in in these minority career paths and things like i am a staunch feminist however i think that it it is important um, to be universal in these situations and be like, hey, the, the way forward is to acknowledge that that people are experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, maybe it's not the perfect way forward or perspective, but maybe it would be a helpful perspective. I don't know. It's, it's tricky, right? I would really like to see a point where uh, men and women aren't fighting each other. Um, the way I look at it, I'm like people, and this is my conspiracy mind thinking, but it's like the people at the top, Trump, for example, it's creating this divisiveness between men and women and, you know, black versus white, trans versus gay mm-hmm. versus women, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that 
they want us to all to fight each other mm-hmm. instead of fighting them, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's the way I look at it. Like, why are we, mm-hmm. why are we trying to fight, fight each other when, you know, we look at people in power making these awful decisions? Yeah. In my mind, they're awful decisions, but, not to everybody. Yeah, but mm-hmm. even then, like, why don't we fight for something instead of fighting against that, something yeah, and yeah. against point. each other? And I think that's what I mean coming back to sexual assault survivors and, and, you know, taking gender out of it a little bit is is not to um, diminish the power of of female voices um, because, of course, you know it it needs to come from female voices. Um, this this movement that we're seeing starting yeah. to happen, um, but I you know it comes back to the the blame idea. Like we're always going to find someone to blame. Um, the government is made up of humans. Um, I don't know whether you want to consider some of the people in government right now human or not, but but let's let's you know shift the energy towards something positive. Let's fight for um, better awareness, and let's fight for education, and let's fight for sex ed and consent ed, and you know that coming back around to music and music education, I mean, that's what I'm doing, whether I'm doing a workshop with high school students or whether I'm working with adults is let's not focus on all of the shitty things happening and sing in spite of that. Let's focus on the good that's coming out of it and sing for that. Um, it's, you know, perspective, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, it's so, I just find there's way too much people who want to just sit there and fight on the internet and contradict things they say or, mm. or act like hypocritical about things yeah. just but, being trolls not even <laughs> trolls like, so, so there's a lot of people that I see um, that are I, I generally believe they they believe they're doing the right thing yeah so mm-hmm. one one example I'll use and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this is there there was a Twitter account I can't remember what it was it was a feminist account and it was during this Kavanaugh thing and she was like uh, men need to come forward and take down other men um, when this stuff happens. Okay, so I, I see this retweeted, so I go and look down, down, down. It's going through a timeline. I look at it. Men have one of the tweets, um, and I'm paraphrasing. This isn't a quote. I should find it, but it was like, men have no right to comment on anything that involves sexual assault or violence because it, something about the patriarchy like creates this thing. So in one tweet, mm-hmm. she wants men to come forward and help, which is, I agree, men, if they notice things going on, they should. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, she doesn't want men to comment on it because she's trying to fight against men, right? Because where yeah. men are creating this system and they're the ones who are mostly assaulting. So as a man, do I want to jump in with her and then her call me up being like, you're a man, don't do this. So I think the majority of people who are just looking at it are just like, I'm just, I'm just going to step back because between a rock and a hard I don't, I don't want to get involved or be called out or people. And mm-hmm. it, that divisiveness of people fighting, whatever the issue is, is you're starting to alienate other people who might be on your team or to might help. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not even talking just gender. It's mm-hmm. all sorts of different issues. But mm-hmm. it's the one thing. Like, inst- like it's teams. It's Feminism doesn't have to be a team versus mm-hmm. men. And just men doesn't have to be a team against women or, yeah. or the mm-hmm. LGBT doesn't have to be... You know, we don't have to be on these different teams fighting each other. That's the yeah. whole thing I, I, I want. Yeah. I want to, uh, that's this part of this podcast. I, I want to learn about what other people are going through and see it through your lens. Yeah. So I can help better, you know, create my lens to yeah. to see things from so many different points yeah. of view. 
Um, yeah, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head when it comes to um, teams and kind of segregating things. And I'm queer, so when you're talking about like the LGBTQ versus non, I mean, I that's something that in the queer community you see a lot of argument over allies and should allies participate in pride parades and yeah. and what does it mean to be an ally and things like that and i think we get into this headspace that everything is black or white that if you are a left-wing person that there's a certain way to be left or if you're a yeah. right-wing person there's a certain way to be right um and and then it just keeps going it keeps going that's the biggest thing right like i like uh, I saw one uh, a tweet. It was like, "White feminists, what are you doing to acknowledge your privilege?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of like, "Why? Why are you segregating feminism into mm-hmm. different classes? Right? Like, yeah. shouldn't we all like? If you're a feminist, you're a feminist. Not, not you. I'm more feminist than you because you're more privileged than me. I'm just well. I'm thinking mm-hmm. out loud, and, and I understand it, that like minorities." Uh, and and women like mm-hmm. as a white guy like I, I I understand that I'm in power and have not myself but my my class of person mm-hmm. I guess you could say and I understand mm-hmm. that so I understand that people have to band together to try to take down or or fix or you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. I just find it so interesting that like why are you trying to alienate another person who's fighting for the same thing as you like mm-hmm. yeah I mean intersectionality is really important. Um, whether you're, you know, whatever lens perspective you're seeing through, whether you're talking about um, queer issues and queer justice, you need to be intersectional. Whether you're talking about feminism, you need to be intersectional. Um, that's not a conversation we see enough of um, in our fields, I don't think. Um, and so it, I think this is, yeah, it's, it's a difficult um, area to walk through mm-hmm. um, because on the one hand you know, talking about not having an us versus them um, kind of conversation going on. But part of um, getting away from that us versus them um, is talking about uh, inclusivity and intersectionality um, and everyone acknowledging where they land on the privilege scale um, and being aware of it and... um, being being vocal about w- how they can help, how they can use their pr- privilege in whatever way they have privilege um, to to work and to create platforms for um, other people without that particular privilege. Um, and I, it means it is really tricky when when you're hearing things being called out saying, you know, um, men, we want to hear from you, but we don't want to hear from you and, and, and where, where you should be putting your voice and where you need to be not putting your voice to allow for other voices to be heard. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's the the main thing, right? Not putting my voice in a place where it Mm -hmm. really, it doesn't have a place to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. I don't have a place to, Yeah. I mean, I just try to support my friends and my community. I can't do anything really about the larger scale of things Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's that's how I try to look at things like programming music going back to kind of my my bread and butter and life is um, my position of privilege as a conductor is 
I get to choose whose voices are heard um, and what music um, is heard and within that music, the message. And um, as conductors, sometimes it's really easy just to focus on, okay, well, let's focus on the artistic side of things. What, what are the keys that are going to flow together nicely, the, the different tempos and, and moods and don't really think about, okay, well, who wrote this? How many female conductors or female composers rather am I programming? How many uh, composers who are people of color? How many non-binary and trans composers? Um, not a lot of conductors take that into consideration. Um, and, you know, that's that's what I try to think about. That's how I try to, to acknowledge my privilege. Um, and that's the way that I can raise up um, other people's voices. Uh, and I, I think that's tricky is figuring out, okay, well, well, how do I do that? How do I acknowledge my privilege, um, raise up other people's voices? How can I, like an everyday person, do that? What's mm -hmm. my method? I like how you just um, use the analogy of music for society and having a conductor of mm -hmm. society. <laughs> of of life there's a conductor of <laughs> life i love that um one of the just side points is just people who want to be progressive uh or who have progressive ideas are spending so much time fighting each other they're not actually fighting people on the right so people you know so when i left or right like people on the right just watch them fight and they're like yeah. oh, okay like we're just gonna go do our thing over yeah. now right like just needs to be some mm -hmm. unity. Have you seen any episodes of Queer Eye? I watched all of them. Okay, <laughs> so then you know that <clears throat> one of the big things that has come out of this revamp of this show is these gay guys walking into southern states um, with Trump signs on the lawn yep. and um, being kind to them and having difficult conversations. Um and I I love that, and I think mm -hmm. it's so timely that yeah, you know we we are always fighting within the left side of things. We're fighting each other. We're then looking at people on the right or or anywhere righter than than us, and um, and fighting. And that's, it's that's you know, the thing. It's fighting. It's outrage yeah. and social media. Mm -hmm. These are not the two platforms we need to be having these discussions yeah. mm -hmm. you need to yeah. be just go in and be kind look i'm just a normal person i have a different sexual preference than you but like we're yeah, i'm kind. nice mm -hmm. I'm... use find your ways to use your pr privilege to um raise up other people's voices do your work educate yourself don't make people of color trans people non-binary people queer people like don't make them do the work for you um but at the same time, yeah, just just be kind. I totally agree. That's my thing. Mm -hmm. I, I try to take care of what I can take care of. Just be nice to the people around me, nice yeah. to people who meet me. Um, and then hopefully they carry on what I did to them to somebody else. And hopefully it's just because mm -hmm. I, I understand, like, because I'm a white male, like, I really don't see people for their skin color or sexual orientation or gender whatever it is like i and i understand like be, because i'm not coming from i'm for coming it from the top i'm not coming mm -hmm. from the bottom so i get that part but like yeah like I, i've marched in a whole bunch of pride parades i've been to drag shows i've been to sporting events i've mm -hmm. been to hip-hop like you know what i mean i've 
because I just don't see it. I just like I like these things and they're fun and yeah, you know, I'm just gonna be nice to everyone around me. So mm-hmm. I With- uh, I find it interesting how you're saying like social media is is not a good platform for I specifically it. do not comment on anything because it does nothing. Yeah. You're never yeah. going to change someone's mind on social media and be like, that was a really good yeah. post. But, <laughs> um, and again, I try to find the silver lining and everything. But um, for me, yeah, I don't com- comment on those things as well. But I also like to learn from them. I learn um, a lot of world issues through social media. Yeah. And it helped me formulate my own opinion on it. I see like the bad stuff. I see the good stuff, and I'm like, ah, just don't I haven't read thought. The comments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But even some of the comments, yeah. like people raise like really good points, and then others are just like plain assholes. And I'm like, okay, you're a dick, <laughs> and I don't agree with that. So it helps me kind of formulate um, my own opinion of it. Like I don't let it influence me too much because I I'm one of those people that I take this information, I really give it a think, and how I feel about it. Um, um, but yeah, I still don't comment on it. Yeah. Um, it's just important for everybody just to see both sides of the argument. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's, um, that's and incredibly important in the to me. And unfortunately we don't have a government system that is a middle, right? It's either mm-hmm. your vote left or right. Yeah. Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative. Yeah. Like you don't just have like, kind of like level-headed people who are just like, yeah, we're just going to make things good. It, everything yeah. has, and it, it always has to be polarizing. Everything has to be polarizing. Yeah. You have to be, you know, I, I love one of the quotes and I think, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. It's been a long time actually. Um, but it was like, <laughs> if you get like a hundred people in a room, 100% chances that at least one of them is going to be an idiot or an asshole. Mm-hmm. So when you get a million people, you're going to get a thousand people who are like that, right? Mm-hmm. So you have all sorts, and that's the people you usually hear from. Mm-hmm. You don't hear from the people who are just having a, a good, honest chat at the bar, like mm-hmm. a philosophical discussion. Mm-hmm. You hear the person on social media who's either being super racist or super, you know, bigotory, yeah. or someone who's being super progressive, making these comments that I was referring to. Yeah. Like you get, but everyone else is just. I like to assume like us, but we're just like, yeah, okay, like let's try to make things better, and how can we help? And do, yeah, do do? and it's all, it's all, it all depends on like how we process things and how our own experiences um, have so, have been affected by that, right? It's so, so complex, and that's it's why so I, complex. I truly, unfortunately, believe we'll never have like a utopian so- society where yeah. everyone's hunky dory getting along because mm-hmm. too many people think too many different ways and you're never yeah like my hope is that people just have compassion and just be kind and be yeah. nice and help people who are in need mm-hmm. uh but i don't there's just whether it's mental illness or you know mm-hmm. your experience you know mm-hmm. uh it truly affects on how you grow up and how you see things and yeah. unfortunately just there are some not good people in this world whether yeah. it's because of something or because that's just who they are mm-hmm. that will never there's so many people that, unfortunately, there's always going to be a small percentage of the world that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my idea of a utopian uh, goal is just, is well, kind of like what we're doing is just raising awareness on all these things, all these things coming to light and, um, and helping people overcome their ignorance of certain topics. Like before commenting, really just kind of look into it. And mm-hmm. instead of having like a really awful comment, just kind of be the the be all in all. Okay, this is what's happening. Like, 
I want people to overcome their their ignorance and really just kind of um, think about it and not be too quick to judge. Yeah. I think that's a great closing point. (laughs) Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you so much. We went uh, an hour and 50 minutes. 50? 50. It's almost two hours. Goes by fast. I always love it. Um, We'll start with you, Dee. Where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Uh, Do you have any shows coming up that people in Ottawa would love to see? Yeah. um, I... I'm really lucky to work for some really fabulous choral organizations. Um, but instead of shouting out my particular ones, I would just say go find a choir, mm-hmm. any choir. Um, a good place to start is um, going to CAMAC, C A M M A C, CAMAC Ottawa Gatineau. They are the go to for um, what's kind of going on in all the different choirs in the city. Um, Go check out a show at the NAC um, and just kind of get involved and get your feet wet. And uh, there's all types of different different styles of music and and come come support us artists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amy, Um, you can find me. Look at that. You got your schedule out. Yeah, (laughs) I'm uh, I'm trying to just remember all my handles. Oh, God. Um, So on Instagram, you can find me at Blonde in the Choir, all one word. I am in two choirs, Capital Chamber Choir. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, as well as Ayla, which is a women's choir. It's A-E-L-L-A. Um, and Twitter, I think I'm under Mamie D. I think I'm under Mamie D, but I'm never really on there. So just find me on Instagram, guys. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. What a lovely conversation. Thank you. Uh, bye, everybody. <laughs> You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.